If you're not investing in multicultural marketing, you're not investing in marketing. The U.S. Hispanic segment represents the most prominent demographic growth in the country and a huge untapped business opportunity for companies willing to move away from preconceived notions and marketing effectively to Hispanic customers. Now more than ever, corporations operating in the U.S. should see the Hispanic population at the core of their existing and future strategies. But many leaders believe Hispanic marketing is the same marketing you run for Anglos, but translated into Spanish. Or that Hispanics are all undocumented immigrants with no purchasing power. Or that using mariachis in their communication is the way to connect with this diverse segment. In this podcast, we'll be talking to Isaac Misrahi, one of the country's leading voices in multicultural marketing. He uses his unique experience as a corporate executive, agency CEO, and industry leader to help businesses grow by leveraging the booming Hispanic consumer segment to drive sales. In this episode of Latino Business Report, we're going to be taking a chapter out of Isaac's book, Hispanic Market Power, America's Business Growth Engine. And that chapter is Seven Myths About Hispanic Marketing. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Latino Business Report. This podcast covers business, people, and issues of the day from a Latino perspective. The Latino Business Report is brought to you by TAMAC, the Texas Association of Mexican-American Chambers of Commerce. TAMAC is the leading Hispanic business organization in Texas since 1975. Now for your host, J.R. Gonzalez. And welcome to another episode. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about Hispanic marketing. I came across a new book that's recently out. It's entitled Hispanic Market Power, America's Business Growth Engine. And we have the author of that book with us today, Isaac Mizrahi. Isaac, how are you doing today? Hi, JR. How are you? Great. Great to be here. Pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. No, sir. Thank you for being here. Isaac, I got to tell you, I've read a lot of different books, but I am thoroughly enjoying your book right now. Hispanic Market Power, America's Business Growth Engine. You get, it's full of great information. I'm very, very impressed with what you've been doing. And I have to ask, how long did it take you to write this book? I've been writing articles about multicultural marketing and Hispanic marketing for the past seven years. Um, so I had a very good head start with a lot of material already written. Uh, of course, the book is not only that. I added a original um, writings, case studies. So the moment that I thought, I think I have a book in my hand to the moment that the book was published four weeks ago, it took approximately three years. Three years. Wow. Second question, why did you write the book? Well, this is my passion, JR. I'm from Latin America. I'm from South America, from Brazil. I came to the U.S. 25 years ago. And of course, as many immigrants, I was completely surprised with the sheer size of the Hispanic population in the country. And I, I'm a marketing executive. I'm a business executive. At one point early in my arrival in the U.S., I started working with the segment. So I had to study. I had to read a lot. And I accumulated more than two deca decades of working with the Hispanic segment in America. And one of the things that I noticed, I, I worked as a client in the corporate side for the past 14 years. I've been working in the advertising agency side, Alma Advertising, that's the agency that I'm the CEO currently. And one thing that I noticed, JR, is that there are many people that understand the opportunity 
from the size standpoint. 62 million Hispanics in America, $2 trillion in purchasing power. But there is a significant gap between understanding the opportunity and acting upon the opportunity. And this book is for people that want to act upon it. They want actually to start doing, um, leveraging their ideas, their marketing plans to drive growth. And I think that's a little bit my contribution. I found that a lot of books out there are very, very good to showcase the opportunity, but they tend to be a little bit too academic. And I thought that there was a gap in the marketplace for a book that actually would be more action-oriented from a business standpoint. Absolutely. And i tell you what I like about the book is it's broken up into very distinct chapters. And for me, it's like a reference guide. I can just see what I'm looking at, go from one chapter to another, and eventually finish the entire book. But it's well-written. I really enjoyed it. And I think it's very relevant to what's going on today. But let me ask you this, Isaac. As, as we look at this, as corporations are wanting to capture larger market segments, and as Latino population grows, doesn't it just make sense that these businesses, and whether they be major corporations or small to medium-sized businesses, that if they're not going after that Hispanic market segment, they're losing out? I think, I think that's, that's correct. But the reality is, if you, if you stop to see it, JR, the, the growth of the Hispanic population, the Latino population, by the way, a little parenthesis here, I'm going to use Hispanic and Latino interchangeable, even though I understand it's not the same. But in my book, I decided to use Hispanic. Uh, but going back to your question, uh, this is not new. Uh, the 62 million uh, Hispanics in America, the purchasing power, this has been growing for decades, three decades, four decades. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the key question. Why people are not actively working on it in a more consistent basis? And I, my assumption or my assumptions are, A, there are a set of barriers and myths associated with the Hispanic segment that become obstacles, and B, you're going to have to do things differently. You cannot keep repeating what you've been doing in the past when your only segment was the white Caucasian population, the Anglo population, because mm -hmm. the transformation that we are seeing from a demographic standpoint requires doing things a little bit differently. And I think corporate America tends to be very conservative. People repeat what they have been doing over the years. So between the myths and barriers and the, the risk-averse type of corporate mentality on changing the way they're doing business, they're doing marketing, those are the two main reasons why I think that we are still discussing this as an opportunity. Definitely an opportunity, exactly. But wouldn't, wouldn't you agree that there's still a lot of misinformation about there out there about the yes. Latino market. A lot of yes, people think, we, oh, we know what we're doing, but they really don't. They, yeah, well, that's that's the majority. You know, as I said, 25 years in the U.S. working almost all this time in this segment. It's incredible. I, I, I touched in this uh, two and a half decades, JR, approximately 100 different brands, different corporations, different sizes, different segments, different industries. And uh, you're absolutely right. There are a lot of people that think they have this figured out. And, and here's, here's the deal. Maybe two decades ago, ago this was mostly an intuitive play. Uh, people use a gut feeling on how to approach this opportunity. But nowadays, 2023, there are enough uh, studies, research, data, insights, 
case studies, best practices that can guide corporations. And another reason why I wanted to uh, put together this book is to actually consolidate in one single source all these studies, or at least the most relevant ones, because this is science. This is no, no, uh, no longer... Uh, something that you feel that you have to do, you improvise, you you hire, you know, somebody from HR that speaks Spanish to manage your business and your marketing, or you have a cousin that lives in Argentina for two years, and this person can help you out. This is serious money. This is serious business, and it should be treated as a serious marketing and business discipline. And, um, and we try to reduce as much as we can the level of improvisation or misconceptions about the opportunity. Well, along with those misconceptions, you see a lot of corporations wasting a lot of money going down trails or trying to capture a market and just doing it wrong. Absolutely. With that, and, the, and, the book, and the book talks a little bit about this myth and these barriers. And that's exactly what I want to talk about. Chapter 8 of your book, it's, it's titled Seven Myths About Hispanic Marketing. So would you do me a favor? We definitely want people to buy the book. Can we, can we, can we get a little uh, overview of what those uh, seven myths are? Absolutely. My pleasure. So let's go one by one and, uh, and I'll try to give a sense. So the first myth is, uh, I'm going to say how it is written here, then I cannot explain. Behavior segmentation makes cultural segmentation irrelevant. That's the myth. Everything that I'm going to state is, I'm, you know, I'm against. <laughs> so this okay. is a myth. And what, what is behavior segmentation? It's basically saying that a person is a person regardless of background, ethnicity, and race, and their shopping behaviors are driven by their needs. If you are a parent of a young baby, you're going to buy diapers, and that's it. Regardless if you're a Latino, African-American, Asian-American, white Caucasian, you need diapers, you buy diapers. Now, absolutely, there are a lot of uh, demand that comes from a need. But what I'm trying to call it out in the book is that culture matters and doesn't replace behavior segmentation, but complements behavior segmentation. And what I explain in this book is that when people are touched by a message that's relevant, that's an authentic message that uh, connects with the cultural uh, aspects of your life, you're going to pay more attention. You're going to talk about it. You're going to remember this communication. And ideally, you're going to adopt that brand or service that's advertising that message. And the second important thing about culture is that culture also shapes your attitudes and your behaviors. Uh, being Latino is a, is a, is the sum of a lot of things that we um, heard, that we saw, that we experienced from our parents, from our grandparents. And these things tend to impact the way that we behave in several aspects of our life the way that we eat, the way that we congregate, the way that we treat our neighbors, the way that we raise our kids. And these things also have an impact on the way that we buy uh, shopping um, uh, uh, goods and services. So what I'm advocating here, debunking this myth, is that behavior segmentation and culture segmentation needs to go hand in hand. Okay. So with that uh, segmentation, as a, as a business is trying to gain a market share, what you're saying is that add that little cultural, add that little salsa, if you will, to the message for the Latino market, and it'll be more memorable, and their chances of buying your product in that market space would increase. Absolutely. You defined it very well. Um, and that okay. goes well, a good segue to the second uh, myth here, 
which is adopting a one-size-fits-all approach is the right thing to do. Uh, the one-size-fits-all is, is a very, very uh, common approach nowadays, uh, JR. It's basically something that got a lot of traction after 2009, 2010, an economic recession, where advertisers, corporations were trying to cut budgets, uh, look for efficiencies, for synergies. And some marketers decided to tell the, the, the following story. Latinos are becoming more English-speaking. They're becoming more assimilated to the Anglo culture. Your messages are already reaching Hispanics in English, in the mainstream media. You don't need to buy um, extra marketing media plans to reach Hispanics because they're already being exposed to your messages. There is something right about it. Latinos are being exposed to a lot of mainstream messages that are around us. However, that doesn't mean that these messages are connecting to our heart. So one thing that I try to explain is that one thing is, is reaching, the other thing is connecting. The second thing, going back to the first myth, is when you add a layer of authentic, cultural, relevant messages, you are increasing the probability that your message is going to be noticed, it's going to be heard. So the one-size-fits-all, while is attractive from an efficiency, from a savings standpoint, they don't, they, these messages, they don't do anything from an effectiveness standpoint. They're actually not helping growing your business. So at one point, you cannot grow you out of efficiencies and savings. There are moments to look for efficiencies and savings, but there are moments to go for growth. And one size fits all, or AKA total market approaches, they don't drive growth. Makes sense. Well, is that, isn't it true that, I mean, everybody, no matter what their background or culture is, are just inundated with thousands and thousands of messages each day. And that cultural twist to it will help get that message stand out amongst the just plethora of messages people are bombarded with. Absolutely. And, and if you stop to think a little bit, JR, a lot of advertising, they are basically interruption, right? You're watching a TV show, you're watching a video on social media. And what happens is that um, you're getting interruption with an advertising message. So first of all, it's not something that people are actively seeking. Second, the, the level of attention, I don't know if you heard the theory of the goldfish. Some um, researchers are saying that the human being today, uh, in 2023, they have an attention span of six seconds, which is less than a goldfish attention span, which goes around seven <laughs> seconds. So, so you're absolutely right. If people are skipping advertising, if people are ignoring advertising, and if people are bombarded by thousands of messages per day, what's the best way to get attention to your message that's not something that goes to your heart, not only to your brain? And that's the point of uh, authentic messages, not only in language, we can discuss the language aspect uh, later on in, the, in some, one of the myths, but in culture. And JR, that's one of the key points of the book. You, you probably saw that I'm hitting this very hard because that's the biggest learning of the past few years, that culture matters and culturally driven messages become authentic messages that connect with the heart and drive uh, sales, awareness, profits uh, for a lot of uh, brands in corporate America. But if you can get that cultural message delivered within six seconds, you're even better off. 
<laughs> and, and and watch out because what cultural message is is not stereotypical message because that's another threat that we see out there. Putting somebody with a sombrero, with a big mustache, with abuelita, a sulado, that that's not going to work. There is a level of sophistication that we expect nowadays from advertisers. We Latinos, we expect from advertisers. And we know, we smell out when somebody's trying to patronize um, the community versus uh, reaching out from a genuine, authentic way. Yeah. I guess the days of the, uh, the Frito Bandito are kind of over and wouldn't work in today's market. Thank so, God. N- yeah. Let's go. Number three. <laughs> Number, number three. three. Number number three is very close to my heart, JR. It's it's about advertising agencies. And it says that general market agencies, mainstream agencies, can handle Hispanic marketing. Uh, over the past few years, I've seen some of my colleagues and Latinos from other specialized agencies going to mainstream agencies with the promise that they their voice uh, would be heard. And what we are saying is that significant level of disappointment. They are telling us that they are being hired, first of all, not in senior positions. They are being hired in low-level, mid-level positions, but to check a box. They are the token Latino, Latina in the room, token Latino, Latina in the PowerPoint presentation, in the spreadsheet with the name of the employees they are working on an account. But they are not making their voice heard because the decision makers on these agencies are still thinking the market as white, Caucasian, Anglo first. So what happens is their voice are not being heard. And the maximum that they are willing to do or able to do is to translate messages created by white Caucasians to Latinos translated to Spanish. And maybe sometimes some nuance Mariachi's here, Abuelita over there to try to make the message more relevant to Latinos. So if you want to win with the Hispanic segment, with the Latino segment, you have to surround yourself with experts, experts inside your organization and experts outside your organization, like experts, subject matter experts, advertising agencies. And I think that's, uh, that's very important to highlight. Would it be safe to say, or would you at, would you advise, let's say, if a, a business or a corporation wanted to reach out to the Latino market, and they had a long relationship with a Anglo-owned uh, advertising agency, would it be okay to possibly hire a second advertising agency specifically for that to reach that market segment? Absolutely, absolutely. There, there are several options. Uh, we at Alma, we partner with several advertising agencies specialized in the mainstream market, African-American marketing. So the more sophisticated markets have a suite of agencies, a roster of agencies that support them and work together. We're not competing with each other. We can work together to integrate the plans. Uh, and sometimes if you live in Texas, as you do, uh, Florida, California, New York, Illinois, you may have a multicultural agency that leads all your communication because the market is very diverse nowadays. If you add up Hispanics, African-American, Asian-Americans, you're talking about almost 40% of the population and a higher percentage of millennials, Generation Zs, 50, 60%. So the question is why multicultural agencies cannot lead communications for mainstream brands in America? And I think that's what we're going to see more and more. So that's uh, that's myth number three. Okay. Let's myth go to the number next four. One. Let's go to it. 
Number four. The, the number four is very interesting. Um, I know I've been talking a lot about advertising and messaging, but the myth number four is that Hispanic marketing equals Hispanic advertising. And I don't want to con contradict myself. I just want to call it out that advertising is important, but it's not only the, the only thing that an advertiser, that a marketer, that a business uh, person should look at when they are investing in the segment. And let me give an example. Your... Uh, your sales reps, um, ideally they should be bicultural, bilingual. Your distribution needs to look at zip codes and areas where you have the Hispanic population living and needs to make sure that you are reaching these areas and zip codes. Um, your customer service, your website, your pricing strategy, even your product composition, depending on what category you are. So for instance, if you are in the food business, what are the flavors that actually you're adding to your portfolio and are these flavors aligned with the demographic trends in America? For instance, you know, JR, that we Latinos, we love spicy food. Not all of us, but there is a disproportional um, number of Latinos that have a higher tolerance to spicy food, right? So those mm -hmm. things, if you are in the food business, just to keep in this example, and if you're uh, looking at your plan for the next 5, 10, 15 years, these things matter. So it's not only a matter of advertising, but your comprehensive marketing plan and business plan for the future needs to understand who is my grow, growth segment and what are the characteristics of this segment and what are the implications of, uh, of this segment becoming more important in America from a demographic standpoint when you actually work on your business plan. So Hispanic advertising is important, but Hispanic marketing is bigger, broader than advertising only. And that's a direction I'm advocating in my book. You mentioned spicy foods. Uh, I can't help but feel I'm a bit of a wimp. I mean, I can handle a little bit of spice, but not too much spice, which uh, just made me think of that uh, new movie that came out, Flaming Hot. I mean, that, yes. that's very interesting about a product. Add the spice to it, and the product just blew up as far as uh, attracting the Latino market. And, of course, not only the Latino market, there's a lot of people who like spice. And, and spicy Cheetos are definitely a thing that's not going to go away. Absolutely. But it's, it's, not only, it's not only the spice um, uh, idea or insight. We can talk about fruits, flavors of fruits, natural fruits. Latinos tend to, to over-index in eating fresh fruits. Um, pineapple, banana, strawberry, mango. These are fruits that are part of our life, right? They are not exotic choices that, you mm -hmm. know, uh, somebody brings forward. Uh, other aspects, part of, you know, part of the culture. Uh, I mean, part absolutely. of the culture in everyday, every, what some people consider exotic fruits, but on Slotros, it was just, we grew up with them. They were on the table all the time. Actually, they bring memories to us. In the book, I mentioned uh, a McDonald's um, case study about mango pineapple smoothie. And when the general market agency did the advertising, they call it the choice of exotic fruits. And when the McDonald's hire us as one of our great partners, they allowed us to give our voice, our insight. And we told them, listen, this is a great product, but this is not exotic. And our twist to the communication was... Uh, the sweet uh, uh, flavor of memories, that these fruits, they actually ah. evoke memories of either your direct past or um, stories from your parents and from your grandparents, from where they came from. Um, and it was a huge hit. Uh, Over-index sales and amazing connection between the brand and the consumer. That's just an example how understanding culture, in this case, uh, 
palate, right? Uh, flavors, uh, food preference can actually help drive business. Wow. Nostalgia is a very powerful force. It is. It is. All right. So myth number five. Uh, myth num number five. Incremental budget is needed. This is the famous Isaac, JR, I hear you, love the book, etc. When I have the budget, I'll definitely go and invest in the segment. It's always this, when I have it, I need to find the budget. I need to ask for the budget. I need incremental resources. There's always the one day I'm going to have the perfect amount of money and I'm going to do it. Um, some people actually do believe it from good faith, and that's great. You know, that's 50% of the way. You convince the person to invest. But if you're going to be waiting for the perfect budget to arrive, you're never going to do anything. That's my experience because there is never perfect conditions, right? And mm -hmm. similar to your personal investment, your portfolio, you never stay with the same portfolio when you are in the, your 20s, your 30s, your 50s, your 60s, or you're retiring. You change the mix, right, JR? That's what the financial experts, they tell us. That's the same approach in marketing. You have to change your mix as demographics in America are changing. So if you Which they're changing to, very rapidly. So if Hispanics represent 20% of the population in a disproportional uh, percentage of growth, you have to actually follow the demographics, the money should follow the growth opportunity. So you're going to have to switch the mix, not wait for incremental budget because an incremental budget uh, lies on the assumption that everything that I'm doing is perfect and then I have to add a layer of Hispanic marketing. No, what the book is trying to convey is let's uh, figure out once again where you're going to be investing based on demographic trends in America. And this may actually require a reduction in some areas and an increase in other areas. And that's a little bit the hard thing for marketers to do. As I mentioned, JR, people tend to be very conservative and they should, the people in marketing and in business tend to look backwards in terms of what somebody else did in the past. And let me try to repeat this, minimizing the risk. But unfortunately, this growth opportunity brings change needs and some level of risk, not significant. I'm telling there is significant ROI behind this, but you have to change things a little bit in order to capture this opportunity. I've seen a lot of that. I've seen um, decision makers or buyers go, well, we can't afford, we can't afford that right now. And then my response is you, you can't afford not to start spending Absolutely. money and investing in this market because that's going to be their future. I, I tell people, I tell people, JR, before we go to the next one, not doing anything, it's already a, a strategy that you're choosing, right? You don't need mm -hmm. to choose to do Hispanic marketing because the moment that you decide not to act on, you're already making a decision. This is a business strategy and it's going to cost you money. You're leaving money on the table. So there is a cost of opportunity of not doing anything. And this needs to be featured um, or factored in, in, every time you do a business plan. Um so let's go to uh, number six, which is uh, a good uh, segue. There is not enough research to support the investment on Hispanic marketing. Um, and I refute that. Uh, as I mentioned, over the past 10 years, mostly in the past 10 years, there I've seen a significant number of studies from different sources. This is not a one study. There are probably three or four studies from very reputable uh, sources 
Nielsen, you probably have heard about Nielsen, a great research mm -hmm. institute. Course. The, course. the Association of National Advertisers, the ANA, they have a multicultural committee that syndicated its own research. There's Kantar Research. All of them, they did their own studies, quantitative, qualitative, over the past decade, and they concluded the same thing, that culture matters, that authentic messages to Latinos, when well done, can increase the awareness and the purchasing intent of consumers. And this can actually deliver a return on investment called ROI up to three or four times how much was the original investment for brands there are in the marketplace. So you wow. put $1 million, you can get up to three or $4 million in ROI return. because you're doing this correctly. Again, this is not Isaac and JR study, like because some people say, right. well, you, you're saying this because you benefit, you're Latino. These are independent studies from people that are, most of them that are not even Latinos and they don't have any beef on this, right? Just, just helping corporate America to maximize their portfolio of investments. So there, there are research. In the book, uh, J.I., you notice there are 10 case studies. There are case studies from big brands, from small brands, big budgets, small budgets, celebrity-related ideas, non-celebrity-related ideas. There is no excuse for not being in the marketplace today. If your excuse is, I don't have data, I don't know what works, um, that's no excuse anymore. And a caveat on this comment is that sometimes I hear comments like, you know what? I did Hispanic marketing once. It didn't work. And so I had to stop it. And my response is, <laughs> well, do you, you stop advertising You've actually heard that for before? the general market? Yeah. I, you know, I hear more than you think. And, I, you know, my question is, you know what? This is the mix of science and art. Maybe there's something that you actually have to investigate uh, that didn't drive the results. Maybe there was the level of investment, maybe the idea, maybe your distribution, your pricing. There are so many things that we can debate, but the, the, the fact of the matter uh, for me is double standards, right? So when mm -hmm. your general market message doesn't deliver the results that you expect, you simply stop advertising forever or you try to change things. You try to understand what worked what worked and what didn't. So, so that's the same. The same goes with the Hispanic segment. It's not a once, one time you do a pilot and you see the results. You have to be in the game consistently for years to come. And if you have a roller coaster of ups and downs in terms of results, try to understand why you're getting these results. But don't just stop advertising, stop doing marketing because, again, that's a double standard because you would never do that uh, for the general market. Um, uh, segment. Okay. Let me ask you this question, Isaac. When we're, when we're looking at it, is there any, uh, and I haven't finished the book yet, so is there anything in the book? Or are you aware of any studies or data that supports the fact that if a corporation were to invest and market in the Latino market, is there a possibility of them losing market share with the non-Hispanic market? I don't think so because, uh, first of all, there are different segments, right? Uh, mm -hmm. the, 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 the reality is that we can see the opposite. Um, let, me, let me give an example. Uh, some people were talking about bad bunny. There was a bad bunny fever, right? Actually, right. I think there is a pesopluma fever right now that's even, you know, after the bad bunny one. But let's talk about bad bunny. A lot of people actually go to the concert and see non-Latinos there enjoying 
some of them even singing the songs, even though some of them don't even know what they are singing, right? They're just mm-hmm. repeating the lyrics. But the reality is that between Bad Bunny, Jay Balvin, Jay Lowe, I'm going, you know, um, yeah. Eva Longoria, there are a group of influencers, Latino icons that actually have a reach that's bigger than the Hispanic segment. And they actually can help having crossover messages that cross over other segments. So I've seen actually campaigns uh, for our clients at Alma that actually not only do great with Hispanics, but do great with African-Americans, Asian-Americans, and white Caucasians, because sometimes those insights, they carry over, but also the way we tell a story, JR, you are in the storytelling business, right? You host this podcast. We tell stories a little bit differently with the heart, with the soul. And some people, not even non-Latinos, they actually resonate with that, right? The way that we tell our stories, the way we tell our messages, we we, we convey um, a situation. And that resonates well with some non-Hispanics too. So I don't think doing Hispanic marketing alienate other segments. And actually the opposite, if you craft your message well, you may add, actually get the opposite, which is a message rooted on Hispanic insights that actually um, have uh, very positive results beyond the segment too. And I guess the fact that there's so many now um, mixed cultural families, that also would, I would think, play into that factor. Right on. Right on, Jay. Okay. Right on. All right. Last to, one. Let's Number go s- to the last one. Yeah. The last one is, is a very good discussion. It's about language. Um, the, the, the myth goes, the number of Spanish language users in the U.S. is down. And I'm going to piggyback on other aspects of the book. Let's talk a little bit about language. Is language important? Because I'm talking about culture, but what is the role of language? Language is very, very important. Let me talk about the myth first. Some people, going back to the total market myth, says, you know what? A lot of uh, Hispanics, they... They speak English. They're second generation, third generation Americans. They're going to assimilate. That's the word. They're going to assimilate to the Anglo culture. So our messages to the general market work and English is becoming prevalent and that's it. Now, English is not, uh, Spanish language is not declining. The percentage of households speaking Spanish slightly declined in the past 15 years from the low 70s to high 60s percent. 66, 67% of households, we have people that speak Spanish at least or more than English. But the number of households, Hispanic households, had been increasing over the past okay. two decades. Okay, That's what so I was going to ask. Ab- so, so the percentage may have slightly dropped, but the overall raw, raw number of the amount exactly. has significantly increased. So okay. basically today we have more people speaking Spanish than 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And I can tell you that five or 10 years from now, there are going to be more Spanish speaking in America from the absolute standpoint than today. So this is a fact. Now, the question is, is Spanish relevant? And our conclusion is it is, first of all, because it's the language of the heart. It connects with parents, grandparents. It connects with culture. It connects with food, with music. Uh, Let me give an example on sports. Um, As a Brazilian, you know my favorite sports, right? It's football, but soccer, football. football. Yeah. Yeah. So so I can watch and uh, uh, the World Cup, for instance. Last year, the World Cup, uh, we had a broadcast in both English and Spanish. It's the same imagery, right? The same game, real time, Mm -hmm. same quality in English and Spanish. 
And I watched in Spanish because for me is a passionate way to broadcast the game. And I was raised in South America from that cultural perspective. This is an emotional broadcast and nothing against the, the, the broadcasters in English. They do their job. I'm sure they are very competent. I'm not saying that there is a right and a wrong. I'm saying that there is a way to connect with my heart. And that's a way that doesn't connect with my heart. So even though I'm fully bilingual, I picked the Spanish broadcast for cultural reasons. And that's what we are seeing out there. There are a lot of people that are comfortable speaking English and Spanish, but the content they are looking for, sometimes it's either only provided in Spanish or better provided in Spanish. And that's what consumers are making choices, not only because of language proficiency, but also what they want to consume from a content standpoint. And as far as um, Spanish-speaking uh, announcers when it comes to football, uh, it makes it much more exciting. If, if you're listening out there and if you have not watched a soccer game on Spanish-language television, try it. It is a different experience altogether. In radio, too. Sometimes you don't have the game in Spanish on TV. You can turn on the radio, the rap radios, and, and uh, mute down the volume. You can watch NFL. You can watch the NBA Finals. It's a different experience. And again, it's a cultural experience. There's nothing to do with whether or not you, you understand the language. And I think this is important. Since the, the whole discussion that we are having here and the book uh, tries to make the points is about culture, language has a significant, important role uh, in conveying this cultural, culturally relevant message. Absolutely. Wait, we're almost out of time, but I do want to do, do want to discuss one part here. Uh, it's a, it's uh, one of the chapters in your book. I have not gotten to it yet, but if you can give me a little peek. It's uh, effective multicultural business starts in the boardroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or should start um, in the boardroom. What's that about? Should start in the boardroom. Well, it's the realization uh, of my personal experience, JR, that the companies they are succeeding winning with the Hispanic segment, these are companies that the commitment comes from the top, right? It's the C-suite, the CEO, the CFO, the head of sales, the head of marketing, and the board of directors. I think that if you go back to the demographic changes in America, I think Latinos' representation in boards, um, I, there, is a, there is an interview with an association called Latinos Corporate Directors Association, LCDA, which, by the way, I'm part of it. They're trying to increase the representation in board of directors uh, from a Latino standpoint. The representation is, is, is very, very small. It's less than 5%. So even though mm -hmm. we represent 19% of the population, we represent less than 5% of the board directors. And you say, why would I care, right? Because, as I said, a lot of what we are discussing here requires strategic decisions, investments, and having people that can actually can raise these questions that we are discussing here at the board may increase the probability that these ideas that we are discussing here are going to be reflected in the plans of corporate America. Besides, I think that we bring, if you forget for a second, Hispanic marketing, I think we bring something different to the table. We've seen a lot. We've seen ups and downs, 
Uh, I'm from South America. I've seen inflation. I've seen recession. I've seen changes in currency, changes in presidents, changes in directions. I think Latinos, we are optimistic by nature, but also resilient. And this resilience, this optimistic perspective on things could benefit a corporate America in several ways. It's a different perspective, a perspective that goes a little bit uh, away from the mainstream way of seeing things. And the mainstream way of seeing things may be uh, worthwhile and working for several companies. But what we are seeing out there, JR, is basically change every day. Change is the only thing that's constant. And there is nothing better than actually hiring Latinos to be in your board because we know how to face change. I'm sure you have your own share of stories about change. And I oh, have mine. Do I? But this, yeah. this is in our DNA, right? We are not afraid of challenges. We are not afraid of obstacles. We are not afraid of falling down. And we are not afraid of change. Well, Isaac, like I said, I am thoroughly enjoying the book. I look forward to finishing it. And it's definitely going to be stay on my shelf as a reference book. You've done an excellent job. And thank you for taking the time to write this. So for our listeners, can you tell us where can we get the book? And um, do you have a, another one in the works? Uh, let me start with the first question. The, you can okay. find the book in mostly of the online stores. You can go to Amazon.com. You can you can go to my publisher, Rootledge, Rootledge.com. But there is a website that facilitates things, www.hispanicmarketpower.com. Everything in one word. Uh, also, the same name, the same name of the book. You can go on social media. You can find us on uh, Instagram, on Facebook, uh, on Twitter. Um, and you... Um, can find information about the book. You can find links to buy the book too. Um, and appreciate the, the call out. Now, regarding the second one, I, I don't know, uh, JR. I know that I'm writing. I keep writing. So the book was published this year. I had to cut off articles, I think, 12 months uh, ago. So I have written probably 19, 20 articles since I closed the content of the book. Um, okay. Some of them on Hispanic marketing, some of them in other topics related to multicultural marketing. And I keep writing every day. I'm writing an article this weekend about Messi's arrival to Inter Miami on MLS and the potential impact on soccer in America and connecting the dots with the multicultural segment, with the Hispanic segment. So this is something that I'm writing right now. So I keep writing. Let's see if there are there's going to be an appetite for a second book. It's a lot of work, but uh, I, I have a feeling that there's going to be either uh, updated, revised edition, maybe three, four, five years from now, or maybe a complete new book. Let's see. Absolutely. Well, let me ask you this. Um, well, I encourage a new book. Where can somebody find your articles? And can you please just do a shout out to the advertising firm that you work for? Okay. Uh, my articles, they are published on Forbes.com, uh, the, the online version of the Forbes magazine. Uh, every month, there is no specific day, but every month there is an article uh, on Forbes.com. You can Google my name, you can Google Forbes, and you're going to find it. Uh, and I work in an amazing advertising agency, Alma, Alma Advertising. The website is www.almaad.com. Alma AD, everything together.com is an amazing agency founded by a folk, a couple of Mexican Americans today under the leadership of our chairman, Luis Miguel Messiano, a Mexican American that came to America in the 90s and saw a great opportunity 
and um, and we do a, amazing work. You can get a little bit more information about what we do there. And if you want to reach out to us, reach out to me. You can do it through the agency website um, or through the book website. You can always LinkedIn me. You and I connected on LinkedIn, JR. I'm a big Absolutely, LinkedIn guy. We I love, I and, love um, LinkedIn. And uh, maybe, um, as you and I discussed offline, I'm, I'm working on potential book tours. I'm doing book signings in Miami, in South Florida. But um, in July, August, September, I'm planning to be in Texas, be in Dallas, and hopefully add additional markets so people not only can um, hear my ideas um, on the podcast or see on, on the book, but also maybe we can interact face-to-face. Absolutely. And thank you so very much. You're coming to us out of uh, Florida right now, and we'd love to get you in Texas. There's there's quite a few Latinos here in Texas that you can we can get. But more important, there's a lot of uh, corporate headquarters here in Texas that need to listen to your message. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you for the call out. Thank you for the opportunity. I'm looking forward to connect with you in the future, JR, and with your listeners, too. Okay. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Isaac. Mizrahi, the author of Hispanic Market Power, America's Business Growth Engine. Once again, my name is J.R. Gonzalez. You've been listening to the Latino Business Report. You can find us at our new website put together by Height Digital. Thank you, Height Digital. You did an excellent job on that. I'm really, really pleased with it. But you can find us at latinobusinessreport.com. And you can also find our entire library of episodes on YouTube. Folks, hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you for listening. Until next time.